Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, February 1st, and this is your FT News Briefing. It was a dry January indeed. U.S. stocks had their worst start of the year since the depths of the financial crisis in 2009. Italian lawmakers decided they want more of the same with their leadership, and the country's bond markets were thrilled. Plus, Western countries are trying to deter Russia from attacking Ukraine with the toughest sanctions ever. It's really a package on a scale like we've never seen. Our Washington bureau chief, James Politi, will have more. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. January was a landmark kind of rotten for U.S. stocks. The S&P 500 is down over 5% compared to a month ago, and the Nasdaq is down 9%. This all adds up to the worst trading month since the financial crisis. The FT's U.S. Capital Markets correspondent, Nicholas McGaugh, says there are a few reasons for this no good, very bad month. The biggest one was the outlook for interest rates and inflation. We've been moving in this direction for a while, but the Federal Reserve really kind of stepped up its signaling this month that it would start lifting interest rates to fight price rises, which is bad for stocks for various reasons. In simple terms, it's because it increases the income that an investor can get now from bonds, and that therefore reduces the relative value that they put on future income that stocks promise. It's a sort of bird in the hand versus two in the bush situation. Is part of this just that Wall Street is coming down from the crazy pandemic highs that we saw? Last year, when things were first reopening, everything looked amazing in comparison with lockdown. Now we're kind of, we've gone through a whole year since the reopening. And so that kind of easy comparison has gone. So now it's sort of more just, you know, if you're a company, the economy is still in decent shape. So you're probably, you know, your revenues are probably still going up by a kind of normal amount, but they're not up 300% year on year, whereas they were last year because 2020 was so terrible. So unpack this a little bit more for me, Nick. Who's really affected by this? So if there are any investors who had gone all in on that kind of the really speculative end of the tech boom, then they might be struggling right now. So people like Kathy Wood's ARK ETF has taken a really big hit because a lot of the companies in that are the sorts of not yet profitable, promising lots of long-term growth. If you actually ask Kathy Wood, which some people have, She's personally saying that she's feeling totally fine about this. She says that like, it just it's good news. It's a chance to buy the dip. But she would say that. So, uh, Fair point. Um, <laughs> so given how bad January was, Nick, how are investors feeling about the next few months? It's important to give a bit of perspective. It was a bad month, but it looks worse because we've got used to things being really calm, unusually calm for the last 18 months or so. Even after this last month, the S&P is still up nearly 20% over the last 12 months. So as we're going into February, the underlying economic outlook is still not that bad. Most investors are still thinking that overall through the year, shares should start kind of trending upwards. But if they do that, and even without any escalation of the situation in Ukraine, we're not going to go back to what the last 18 months had been like. It's volatile months like this are more like the norm, not what we've just had. And so going forward, it's going to be kind of watching out for maybe more of the same. Nicholas McGaugh is the FT's U.S. Capital Markets correspondent. 
Western powers are preparing what's being called the most aggressive sanctions against Vladimir Putin ever. The Russian president hasn't backed down from his threat to invade Ukraine, and these sanctions from the U.S. and European countries would hit everything from Russia's banks to high-ranking oligarchs. The FT's Washington bureau chief, James Politi, has more. This is about preventing uh, transactions with banks. It's about cutting Russia off uh, international payment systems. It's about depriving uh, Russia of key technologies as well when it comes to quantum computing and artificial intelligence and semiconductors. And so it's really a a package on a scale like we've never seen. I mean, of course, in 2014, after the annexation of Crimea by Russia, the West moved to impose some sanctions on the Russian economy. But this is on on a whole other level, really. Now, James, we should mention that we don't have the full details of the package, but we do know that it would hit Russian oligarchs pretty hard. What's the thinking behind that? The logic of squeezing the oligarchs is to um, basically, you know, cut Russia off of the international financial system, make it so painful for Putin that, you know, he'll be deterred from taking any military action uh, in Ukraine, or if he does, you know, that he he will face such a backlash uh, to the sanctions that he'll eventually sort of pull out to sort of diffuse the crisis. Now, James, these sanctions would only go into effect if Russia invades Ukraine, right? Yes, and there's a, a discussion about what the exact triggers would be. Um, and what happens if Russia decides to launch an attack which sort of falls short of an all-out uh, military boots-on-the-ground invasion? Some you, you know, officials have suggested that there could be um, a sort of sliding scale of sanctions, but I think the overarching objective is to punish Putin um, as much as possible, uh, both as a, as a deterrent initially and then eventually as a, as a measure to make any invasion as painful as possible. Is there any sense that these sanctions will dissuade Russia from invading Ukraine? Well, so far, I mean, it's very hard to tell. It doesn't look like it. The sort of military planning on the Russian side seems to be uh, moving, moving forward. There were more troops sent to Belarus, which also has a border with Ukraine. Um, so it looks like it hasn't deterred them so far, but maybe that's why... Um, the, the, the warnings of harsh sanctions keep coming um, is because they want to get the message through uh, to Putin. And I think the latest messages sort of coming from uh, U.S. administration officials and the U.K. as well about targeting oligarchs, um, I think are designed to show that the West is actually really serious about hurting uh, sort of Putin's friends. James Pleady is the FT's Washington bureau chief. The best medicine for Italy's economy may be a dose of status quo. Italian lawmakers re-elected Sergio Mattarella as president over the weekend. It's not that lawmakers are head over heels for Mattarella. It's just that they really want the popular Mario Draghi to stay in his job as prime minister. Here's our Rome correspondent, Amy Kasman. Politicians were really afraid that if they elevated Draghi to the presidency, that then they'd have to agree on a new prime minister, and that would be really tricky. And they couldn't agree another consensus presidential candidate. So in the end, they forced the incumbent to stay on, even though he'd clearly expressed a strong desire to stand down and retire. 
The business community is happy, and so are markets. Italian government bonds rallied on the news that Draghi would stay at the helm of the coalition government. There's a lot of serious economic reforms that need to be pushed through the system over the next year, and they're really hoping that he will be able to get a lot of stuff done before the next election. Italy's economy has been chronically underperforming, and these reforms are intended to try to nudge Italy onto a higher growth trajectory for the long term. So they're really important for Italy's long-term future, but they're also very challenging. And there's a feeling that Mario Draghi is one of the few people that actually has a chance of getting some of this stuff done with this broad-based coalition, which was in danger of breaking over this presidential election. That's our Rome correspondent, Amy Kasman. And before we go, two big gaming deals dominated the news yesterday. Sony shelled out $3.6 billion for the video game developer behind the Halo franchise. And then the New York Times announced it would pay some M-O-N-E-Y, five letters, for the viral smash hit Wordle. A Brooklyn software engineer created Wordle as a gift to his girlfriend. The New York Times says he'll get somewhere in the low seven figures for the game. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.